0: There we go. We are off and running. The, I like how Zoom, it doesn't like, that doesn't ever like become part of the recording. But Zoom always tells you that the recording has started. I really appreciate that.
1: <laughs> recording has started. Recording in, has started. Thank you, Zoom. Thank you. Um, Z- and then it, it gives you like your legal there, too. Like, It Because yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> legally, I have to inform you that I am recording you. It's, yeah. Yeah, you wouldn't uh, want to have to
1: have to go to legal Zoom as a re- ooh, result of a Zoom.
0: Uh, uh, absolutely not. Um, hello, just trying- welcome, friends,
1: <laughs> listeners. I'm just trying to give you a forewarning for the goofy. We're just, right?
0: yeah. <laughs> we already noted before we started recording that getting our sillies out before we start does not guarantee that there won't be silly and.
1: In- like it's going to happen so it's almost like when you tell a kid not to do something <laughs> and then they're right. like no but I'm gonna have to do it now because you've told me to do it so right.
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> well anyway hello I'm glad glad we're glad you're back that yeah. you decided to join us for part two part two <laughs> part part two of our knives out knives out knives out two knives out two yeah two. Two knives out. Also is my knives out. (laughs) My knives are also out. (laughs) My knives have been out for quite some time. Yes. Oh, yay. Um, what did we? Yes, we're we're talking about knives out again, again,
1: again. Uh, What did we
0: What did we talk about last
1: time? Last time we were long ago. I know. Last time we were shocked at the medium of a video record for most of the the episode. We were so pleased that we figured out how to record video
0: of ourselves.
1: And then we had a very, one of our classic freeform freeform discussions, you know, formerly ABC Mm -hmm. family discussions. Um, We had a good time. Love those. Love those. Yeah. Yeah yeah we talked about
0: we talked a lot about what we want to see in the sequel particularly yeah. what we want the sequel to be called we're yes. very concerned about the title
1: yes of the knives
0: out sequel um which if you follow us on instagram you've seen a few posts about that so
1: <laughs> Rhonda is an I artist apologize. and we love it i no, apologize
0: they're deeply. brilliant
1: no, don't you you bask in that. Those are amazing. Mm. Yes, there you go. Yes. Um <laughs> I liked your jazz hands that were like kind of Thank you. kind of like rain a little bit.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's spirit it's like spirit fingers spirit meets fingers. rain meets yeah. Cuz we live in Washington. Um Yes. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yes. Um, So, yeah, we talked about, like, what we want to see in the sequel. We talked, we kind of meandered a little bit around, like, our favorite characters, our favorite performances. And then we started to dip just a little bit into sort of the broader mystery genre and how we see Knives Out fitting into this tradition of the who done it or the detective story.
1: And uh we're going to talk about that some more. Yeah, we're going to have one of I feel like our part twos are often more into like the the how it's done and then we push out a little bit yes. into more like <laughs> associated topics. So yes. This is no different. Yes. We're going to talk about how did about... this
0: get made? How did this get made? Is what? Yes. How did this get made? Um, is the best. <laughs> yeah. Um, hold on. I feel like I need to move my hair because there's like. Okay, we're good to go. Okay. Uh, yes. So we are going to talk about the legacy of the Who Done It, and how knives outfits into this tradition. Tradition.
1: Tradition. Tradition. We have okay. Tevya on later. That's He's what... <laughs> going to help us out.
0: Lorelai <laughs> yeah. Gilmore as Tevya As Tevia. Like uh, and then in
1: the third episode, we'll have Kirk as Tevya And we'll see Tevye. how they compare. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Listeners at home so... who don't know Fiddler are like, who is Tevya?
0: <laughs> Fiddler on the roof. Uh, is he
1: a friend of theirs? Great.
0: Tev- yes. Thank you for coming, <laughs> Tevya. Um th- mm, Okay, I'm going to be serious now. <laughs> but everyone look at
1: Rhonda's mug, though, first. She got the mug. you can't see it,
0: it's, the, it's not exactly the same, but it's very similar to Marta's mug that she has at the end of the movie, which is Harlan's mug at the beginning of the movie. So, yeah, it's great. My house, my rules, my coffee. Okay, so we're going to talk about the legacy of the Who It, And let me tell you, I really dug I I really dug into this I um I don't like talking about this very much but I did major in English literature when I was in college and I did take a class on Victorian popular fiction and we did read some detective stories um so I know some things about the beginnings of detective fiction is what I'm trying to say. I'm not trying to brag. That's just a fact. Um,
1: <laughs> no, she ha- she's a lady with her accomplishments. She was not bragging. She was just letting us okay. know. Yeah, it's
0: fine. Just um, like Aaron
1: stop so talking. The- Aaron, <laughs>
0: I thought, I thought you were like trying to get me to stop talking. Um, Never. That could happen. That no. I could stand to talk less. Uh no. Which is why I have a podcast. Um, So the... (laughs) Uh, So, you know, going back to the origins of detective mystery whodunit fiction. um, So we can date it back to like the mid-1800s or so. We have the works of Edgar Allan Poe in the mix there. The first... Uh, what's widely regarded as the first ever detective novel is The Moonstone by Wilkie Collins, which I did not read for my Victorian popular fiction class, but I did read another Wilkie Collins novel called The Woman in White, which is also a detective novel, but it's an amateur detective in The Woman in White, so (sighs) kind of fun there. Um so mystery, fiction, mystery and suspense fiction s- continued to gain popularity throughout the late 1800s, where we see probably still the most famous detective in fiction, Sherlock Holmes, in the 1880s and 90s. So uh, but the term who done it is is an interesting one. So of course, we have, stories that we could term whodunits being written throughout the 19th century and the early 20th century but the term whodunit wasn't officially coined until 1930 and this was in a review of the detective novel Half-Mast Murder and the reviewer was named Donald Gordon and he used the term whodunit to describe the story and that's the first time we have the word whodunit appearing in print Way to go, Um, Gordon. Wow. So 1930, you could say, is like right in the middle of what's called the golden age of mystery fiction. So this is the time, you know, 1920s, 1930s, a little bit into the 40s, where we see really popular whodunits. Agatha Christie, probably the most famous, but then we also have like Dorothy Sayers and a few other contemporary authors um, who really capitalized on that genre. And then as we move away from like the 1930s and 40s into more like the 1950s, um, the, the whodunits that we saw earlier on in the century, um, readers were kind of like getting, getting wise to those. They you know, they started becoming like more predictable. There was kind of a formula that they all followed. So readers were more interested in what sort of developed into hard boiled quote unquote crime fiction, um, and like noir, detective noir fiction. Okay. So um the Who Done It was a very British genre at the beginning. Um, So hard-boiled crime fiction was kind of America's answer to that. So hard-boiled detective fiction or noir fiction was, like, darker. It tended to be more violent. There was more, like, raw emotion involved in it. Um, And the – so the conventions of, like, noir or hard-boiled detective fiction do have a lot in common with the conventions of a classic whodunit – but it just gives it a little more edge and it gets away from sort of like the polite society of sure. like an Agatha Christie who done it. Sure. Right. So of course, while we have hard boiled crime fiction coming in in the thirties through the fifties, um, we have popular authors um in the hard-boiled genre. Like Dashiell Hammett, James M. McCain, and Raymond Chandler, who Ryan Johnson has also cited as influences in his writing, in addition to like Agatha Christie and the more classic whodunit sure. authors. Sure, sure. So he did this interview. Ryan Johnson did an interview with The Atlantic about his uh, kind of his inspirations for for Knives Out. Um, the interviewer asked a really interesting question. They, so they talk about how, like something that we kind of brought up last episode about how like the whodunit or the classic murder mystery is, has kind of fallen out of fashion in recent years until knives out sort of revived it. Yeah. Um, so the interviewer commented on that. Um, he said like, it's not a dead genre exactly. Um, because, like I mentioned last time, we had um, the Murder on the Orient Express adaptation just a yeah. couple of years before Knives Out, um, and uh, Ryan Johnson responds that he thought Murder on the Orient Express was great. Um, <laughs> he says, "When you see a whodunit, you set, you tend to see it as a period piece," which I thought. Is an interesting uh, observation. He says, because it's usually an Agatha Christie adaptation. So the idea of doing an original Whodunit and setting it in America of 2019, not just giving it a modern skin, but really plugging into today, there is something about that that seemed genuinely exciting. He goes on to say, with this movie, I was thinking about the form of the Whodunit and the inherent weakness of that form, which is that. It's just clue gathering leading up to a surprise. So the initial <laughs> <laughs> right? So the initial idea was as simple and abstract as putting a Hitchcock thriller in the middle of a whodunit, but still turning it back into a whodunit at the end. Uh, so he says, I still get the pleasure of the day you all with the detective in the library. Right, <laughs> like, right. Classic, classic. Um, he also talked a little bit about the character of Marta, who yeah. we, um, back in our Downton Abbey series, I talked a little bit about um, this idea of class and class commentary in um, in kind of the English country manor story, which we saw with Agatha Christie, um, where, you know, kind of in that classic whodunit sense, we have like, quote unquote, the help who are always present, but they're either the villains or they're just kind of off to the side and not really developed characters very much. So with the character of Marta, we have kind of a, a a, a twist on that classic kind of whodunit character. And Johnson says, it's interesting how that's always an element. It's something Gosford Park used to great effect. Gosford Park keys into something that's kind of baked into the genre, which is that it's uniquely suited to talking about class. In the same way most whodunits are period pieces, it's usually British class that these films focus on. So the idea of applying that to America seemed very interesting. Um, And then he says, I got the idea of making Marta the central character and putting her in the role of the Hitchcock hero. Um, He says, I wanted the movie to have a good heart. I really felt like it was important that the audience walk out of the movie smiling and bobbing their heads. And then he, like the song choice at the end, Sweet Virginia by the Rolling Stones um, is, you know, playing over the credits, which is such a perfect uh, perfect song for that. Um, He says, but that ties back to my essential pleasure with the genre. You rarely end a whodunit in a very dark way. Um, which is an right. in- interesting to note um,
1: yeah. that like
0: with like Hitchcock, Hitchcock often has a dark ending or, you know, like that kind of hard boiled noir detective fiction, those often ended in very dark ways. So yeah. bringing in that, you know, more satisfying ending <laughs> of a whodunit. Um, and then he also, uh uh, Johnson also wrote uh, an op-ed for the LA Times about um, his inspiration of *Who it's for the movie. So I just pulled out this one little paragraph that I thought put a put a cap on this t- on this uh, exploration really well. Um, He says, in the traditional Christie whodunit, the first act sets the table with a rogues gallery of suspects and one very powerful person who each of them has a reason to hate, who will obviously be the victim. What's interesting is that Christie never or very rarely draws our sympathy to the victim. The victim is usually a rich or powerful jerk, or at the very least, an annoying person. Right. In the first, right. In the first act, we're identifying with potential killers. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> their motives have to resonate with us. Their predicaments seem desperate and dire enough that if we were in their spot. Well, who knows? Christie bends us into identifying with the potential killers, and there's nothing more Hitchcock than that. And he's kind of commenting here. um, He points out earlier on that, like, Alfred Hitchcock did not like the whodunit genre. He did not think that it was, like, uh, that it was very uh, uh, creative or inventive. Because, (laughs) like, as we kind of of pointed out earlier... um, you know, like, it's just, you're just clue gathering throughout the Who It, and then you get the answer and it's like, there's no, you know, yeah. they, like, Hitchcock at least felt like there was no real, like, interest in getting to that conclusion because it's like, it's, there's no, like, story logic, I suppose. Um, right. So it's interesting that he kind of put those two things together. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, and then I did want to talk about just uh, three movies that um, inspired Knives Out or that we see like really strong echoes of these movies in Knives Out. Um, so we have Gosford Park, which you've talked about a little bit, yeah. and we also talked about in Downton Abbey. Um, yeah. So this is a black comedy. Um, and you know, it follows a group of, wealthy British socialites who are thrust into a murder mystery while they're staying at an English country house. Um, And, you know, this uh, Gosford Park, I really recommend that you watch Gosford Park, especially if you love Knives Out, because it's really just a brilliant and biting commentary on class and sort of the conventions of these, like, British social class kind of period pieces as well. Um, So yeah, really great. Um, And then a couple more. So the murder on the Orient express adaptation from 1974. Um, So, I mean, this is kind of a classic, like this just, it's kind of the blueprint for, you know, this kind of whodunit story. And then One other movie is Clue. (laughs) So based on, based on the board game Clue, um, we even have at one point at one point Lakeith Stanfield, I think it's, is it Lakeith Stanfield or is it the other detective who says that like they live in a clue board or something?
1: I just watched the movie this morning again and I can't, I remember that line, but I can't remember. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs)
0: Um, yeah so really and also do. Clue Clue really had um, the movie Clue also has that kind of like a bit of like uh, like satire kind of humor in there um, yeah and I think like Clue the game and Clue the movie really um, are invested in making the house itself a character in the movie which we also see in Knives Out which, Yeah. It's really fun. So, yeah. It's Just also, a few movie recs for you.
1: In a way, Clue is also like, since, I don't know if you still play the game Clue, but when I was growing up, you played the <laughs> game Clue. So, it was my first reference point for any sort of a whodunit. So, like, yeah, I feel like Clue is almost the attempt to get a new generation into, like, a murder mystery whodunit type scenario. Um, and it worked for me. <laughs> yeah.
0: I played Clue Junior.
1: <laughs> yeah, if anyone else
0: played Clue Junior, because <laughs> I, played... I wasn't old enough for the real Clue, I guess. I don't know.
1: Well, it's a pretty. <laughs> I mean, a bunch of six-year-olds faking murders. You know, it's yeah, <laughs> it's kind you of. Know, a I yeah,
0: I don't even know. Was was it a murder in Clue Junior, or was it? Here, oh, I'm look it
1: up. I don't I remember. Jr. I remember there was also. <laughs> Um, no, it's uh, a case of a missing cake. <laughs> uh, well, that's worse. In Clue Let's Jr., it's a missing cake. Yeah. Don't steal my cake.
0: <laughs> Who took a I piece think... of cake? It's, it's only a piece of cake, it's not even the whole cake.
1: Like, oh, that's a very losing. low stakes mystery. <laughs> we're losing the story. There was also a computer game that came free in cereal boxes of Clue. Um, they did like. I think Cheerios and a bunch of other um, of those like basic generic brands that you think of when you think cereal um, had these uh, like really badly, not badly made, but just like quickly made um, CD versions of classic uh, board games. And one of them was Clue. Uh It was the better one. Nice. Very nice.
0: Oh, in my search results, there's a video that came up called How to Play Clue Jr. So I will be watching that later. Um, (laughs) Obviously. Oh, that's great. Clue Jr. What a time to be alive. Uh, What I loved about Clue Jr., though, (laughs) was that not only did you get to be like kind of a kooky character, but you also got to be a detective. Like it turned all the characters into detectives. Yeah, kind of like, uh, kind of like, what was the game, the murder mystery game that they played on The Office? It was like <gasps> Bell's Bourbon and Bullet. Yeah, <laughs> like, um,
1: <laughs> yeah, Bell's Bourbon and something. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, that was a good episode. I think that one was only. I feel like that one was only done because Ed Helms has the Georgia accent. <laughs> <laughs> so they're like we need
0: this guy to do this
1: accent what My can we name do is with this deborah
0: it was like Debra, you <laughs> yeah. deborah you taunt
1: yeah you
0: and then andy's trying to correct her and he's like see what you're doing is kind of a florida panhandle and what you want is a Savannah
1: accent <laughs> and then when oscar tries to do a southern accent <laughs> yeah that's the best Oh, I have to. Re- I haven't thought about that episode in a very. I long wonder time. if
0: I wonder if that was partly Daniel Craig's inspiration for his accent. It was like Andy on the Office, I the mean, <laughs> like <a> murder mystery <laughs> game.
1: Yeah, it was on his vision board for like. I'm Caleb yeah. Crawdad. <laughs> I'm Caleb Crawdad. <laughs> oh my goodness! Uh, yeah. Oh, the Office.
0: Oh, great. You could say that that episode of The Office was like a precursor to Knives Out because it's like The Office did a murder mystery and suddenly we had to make a movie that was a murder mystery. Coincidence?
1: I think not. (gasps) not. Rhonda, we just became detectives. (laughs) We're so cool. We are (laughs) We are not unlike the famous detectives for I for hire through the ages that I oh researched. tell me about those. So I was really was Sherlock inter-
0: Holmes. Wait, was Sherlock Holmes a real person?
1: He was modeled after a real forensic scientist. Oh, named Dr. Joseph Bell, who From CSI. Fu- yes. <laughs> From CSI and then also SVU. And CSI um, Miami. <laughs> Ab- you know, yeah, I think Miami was more of his passion project. He yes. was like the most in- inserted into that world. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Who can blame him? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I actually, um, as I was researching for this episode, I wanted to know, like, were there actual, like, could I walk into an office and say, listen, see, I need, a, I need someone <laughs> to <Smitty>? help me. <laughs> exactly. Like, and some guy or girl would come with like, I don't know, a nice hat and like well dressed and I'll solve that problem for you. And there were, there were like real, you could just walk into an office um, and, You know, have counsel with a detective for hire. Um, I mean, there are private investigators now who
0: will, like, investigate things for you. Not necessarily solve crimes, maybe, but, like, they'll, you know. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Which just always sounds like it's made up. I know that that's real. Like Veronica Mars. (laughs) Yeah. Jessica Jones, kind of. Um, Yeah. That's real, I know. I know that those are real things that happen, but my mind, like maybe I've spent too long in the elementary classroom, but my mind is like, no, that doesn't actually like happen, but it does. So uh, I did want to start with Dr. Joseph Bell, just because he is the inspiration for Sherlock Holmes and Sherlock Holmes is kind of a major entry point um, for all of these stories. So um, Dr. Joseph Bell was a forensic scientist that um, was a medical professional first, but he was the he's noted as the first person to kind of use details about the body to kind mm-hmm. of decide what might have happened. So. It was obviously based in science, but it was also a little bit of a whodunit or like a what happened, that kind of thing, um, to a greater degree than what was happening at the time in the medical profession in terms of like solving the why behind it, you know? Um, And most importantly um, was that um, the writer of Sherlock Holmes, Arthur Conan Doyle, studied under um, this forensic scientist so this is like it's not just oh he might have been inspired he like really studied under him um, mm-hmm. and that's where he got a lot of his inspiration for the character um, and yeah he like would teach his students to in a very Sherlock Holmes way like I see a, a print on I their finger I see a silhouette of a man Scaramouche, Scaramouche. <laughs> will you do the fandango but like thunderbolt and lightning very very frightening you guys the rest of the episode is just just bohemian rhapsody all the way down
0: (laughs) so like that was i have never heard okay well first of all i've never been to a dueling piano bar but i've never heard a room full of people so excited as when they played bohemian rhapsody at that dueling piano bar
1: It was very fun. That was. It's -hmm. a good time. Yeah. It's.
0: None of the people in that room were born when that song first came out, but we knew all the
1: words. But we knew all All the words. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? A dueling piano bar, excellent place to host a whodunit. (laughs) That's all I'm saying. It would be. Oh my gosh! You could write a
0: whodunit that took place at a dueling piano bar. That would be.
1: I'm gonna copy verbal copyright it. right now verbal copyright TM. <laughs> TM. yes <laughs> so we all kind of know about Sherlock Holmes but did you know about Maud West I have a feeling you're going to tell me you've got a feeling okay um so <laughs> one of the most like popular private detectives in London in like the first half of the 20th century was Maud West. Um, and she was often called London's premier lady detective, which just oh. to me sounds like she's trying to find like pads, you know, like uh-huh. <laughs> I'm a ladies the num- detective. The, uh,
0: number one ladies detective agency.
1: Yeah. Which
0: is, yeah.
1: Yeah. It's great. 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 Yeah. books. Okay. Oh, so good. Um she, you know it was really interesting too. she started her career as an actress um and yeah. and kind of like I, I have this vision of her like running to go on the stage and then like solving a murder and then like running back on stage for her entry <laughs> I I love this woman's life. I love the that idea. TV show right? Oh my gosh, I would that would, yeah yes, again, copyright. That is, belongs to us. Um, and it, you know, it made it um, because she was an actress and also because she was like the best and most notable private detective at the time, it made it really necessary for her to be an excellent um, master of disguise, you might say. Like um, Dana Carvey. Like Dana Carvey. She, or, yes, mostly the turtle costume turtle turtle, turtle. <laughs> oh dear that movie oh oh goodness um the episode of how did this get made for that movie it's a gem. <laughs> chef's kiss like go listen to that yeah um after you're done listening to this series uh-huh. but um it, it was also noted that um because because she was female like she had to specifically dress as a man to get where she needed to go in London society at the time um very different time in the 20th century so she needed um like she specifically focused on um costumes that looked male identified um and she was like I don't know. I feel like being known as the best detective is good for business, but like really bad for your business. <laughs> it's kind of right. like, if people know you who you are,
0: then they're not you know they're not gonna yeah. they're not gonna open up to you.
1: And if you're starring in like whatever on a stage, and then the next day you're like solving a murder. I don't know. I just. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just doesn't make much yeah. sense to me. It's honestly like
0: if Daniel Craig decided to become a
1: real life private investigator.
0: Yes. That would, I don't think that would
1: work very well. I don't think that would work out. Also, like, I don't think it would be as lucrative as, you know, being Daniel <laughs> as Craig. As acting. But, as being you know, James Bond. <laughs> like,
0: I'm just... Which he's not anymore. But... <laughs> no.
1: No, that that. should But he's still sailed. Benoit Blanc. He's still Benoit yes. Blanc, though. So that's
0: gonna be very lucrative for him
1: <laughs> let's hope i'm still nervous about the second movie slump but that's mm. neither here nor there so we'll see we'll see yeah we'll, we'll see um oh about mod west i did want to note i'm doing my my little mindy kaling finger um i did want to note <laughs> that <laughs> one of mod west's most like noted cases was she she followed a rich british heiress um to different naval bases and it turned out that the british heiress was actually a spy so oh, i mean excellent i mean that's a that's a champagne evening for west isn't it like, like
0: christopher marlowe yes it was a spy
1: Weenie 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 weenie. I just always we need like a soundboard with the Twilight Zone. Like, we do. We I totally can add do. it.
0: <laughs> I can add it in post. I'll add it in post. I'll add it in post. Oh, brilliant. Um reader, she did not add it in post.
1: <laughs> alas, dear reader. Rhonda's busy, damn it. And Aaron doesn't know what she's doing, frankly. Um so it's also really interesting to me that Ma. I'm going to jump in my notes a little bit because Maude West and another noted detective, Kate Easton, were uh-huh. like rival actresses together in Love London. That. Like they had Love acted that. together, and then yeah, they're like, "Where is where is this TV show? Where is this TV I show? Want this. this is like so interesting. Is, uh, like it took, and you know, it was really interesting too when I was. Um researching this this was hard to find. Like there wasn't like a myriad of like when we researched um uh Shadow and Bone and it was just like right at our fingertips, this was hard to find. <laughs> was like took a second um but yeah so may or mod i always want to say may west may west yeah (laughs) wouldn't that be a plot (laughs) twist but mod west knew kate easton and had worked with her in a capacity as an actress and kate easton was the first female was yeah the first female detective um, to set up office in london so even before mod came along there was kate easton and the tagline of her um her kind of advertising campaign was Uh blackmail divorce evidence robbery i undertake it all i have touched everything except murder where is this television show
0: Seems a bit anticlimactic that tagline.
1: I don't know about that. It's kind of like she's trying (laughs) to. I touch everything
0: except murder. Except murder, though. Like she. Do you think it was because she was trying to like keep maintain like her reputation as like a respectable lady, like a respectable lady detective wouldn't get into murder because that's too,
1: you know, unladylike. Right. Do you think? Or or maybe she was trying to make sure she didn't get blamed for a murder, (laughs) like. Yeah. Like, look, I'll do blackmail, I'll do divorce, I got your evidence, I got your robbery, but I don't, frankly, I don't do murder. Not doing murder. Not no. doing murder. <laughs> yeah. Good for you, Easton. Set your boundaries. Yeah. Good for you. Like it. <laughs> <laughs> so she, as I noted, she had acted with Maud West, and they, like, became these, like, I don't know, I think, comedic rivals like I have these I have this image of like Mod West like on the scene like chasing some bad guy and then Kate Easton like ah damn it (laughs) I gotta go find someone and like going to find whatever she could um I just liked that they knew each other um and then there was also Kate Warren so she was she's often considered the first detective for hire in America So um, she, there's, you know, legend has it that in 1856, Mm -hmm. um, she arrives at one of the premier Chicago um, detective agencies, the Pinkerton Detective Agency. And she asked for a job and Pinkerton's like, you're, you're a woman. Mm -mm. Like, we don't, (laughs) we don't do that here. Sorry. Um, We don't, we don't do that here. And then. Um, Warren noted that if you're not allowing women to be detectives, what like someone, a, a baddie could literally walk into a woman's restroom and like commit a crime and you would never know about it. Cause you can't go in there. So what do you mean? Like that makes no sense for you as a businessman and Pinkerton's like, uh, guess you're right kid. And like begrudgingly <laughs> let her in or whatever. Um, damn it Pinkerton. I just <sighs> And he said, and obviously in my notes and in the research I did, he wasn't like impressed with her knowledge. He was like she was plucky and she tried hard. Like <laughs> admit you're wrong like right. it's
0: exhausting um a man admit he's wrong ah. I
1: I know it's not gonna <laughs> Never. happen but but Warren got on to the Pinkerton National Detective Agency and she um she was 23 years old when she first like wow. yeah right how cool is that um Yeah, so I think that was just a really neat snapshot of, like, being 23 and being, like, a detective for hire. What an interesting world. Like, what a way to become an adult, you know? Wow. She wound up to be... One of their most popular and most credible detectives, as well, Um and I don't think that they did start hiring too many um, other female detectives for quite some time still, but she became like we've one got of one. Their... We've got one. That's Frankly, enough. We
0: we right. got one. One woman. There you go.
1: <laughs> there there you got you got your wish, ladies. Um, uh huh. Ugh. Um. <laughs> But interestingly enough, if we go back um, across the pond, across the pond, across the pond, (laughs) they were opening not one but two ladies detective agencies.
0: Oh, so there was the number
1: one ladies detective agency.
0: Yes, exactly. That's in Botswana, though. That's yeah. That's not.
1: But same, you know. So there was the <laughs> Moser's Ladies Detective Agency and the Slater's Women's Detectives. So, like, there's some branding <laughs> going on there. But um, I, I'm like Robin from How I Met Your Mother. But-um, but-um, but-um. <laughs> but-um. People are starting a drinking game. <laughs> they are. Sorry, friends. I apologize. um. Uh, And again, these two detective agencies were like really competitive with each other. So they were female-powered detective agencies. They really built that way when they were opening up their business. They were really into like, yeah, we got the ladies. These are the women. Um, So Slater's Women's Detectives was created by Henry Slater. Makes sense right and yeah. slater was a talk uh, like a not a T slater N- no <laughs> he was not involved um, unfortunately unfortunately so slater was a top detective with scotland yard um and his rival maurice moser set up moser's women's detectives so ah. Again, we have these comically like paired rivals across town setting up and solving murder, so and also like perfect material for a TV show where Where is it?
0: Where is that it, does guys? not exist. Come on. Come on. <laughs> what are we do? Netflix?
1: Let, what are we? Get
0: give us a this. call.
1: Give us a call. <laughs> um, <laughs> just any time that like, I don't know. I think rivalry, I know rivalries exist in the world because we're humans and we're competitive, but reading about them just makes me giggle. So I wanted to share.
0: I also kind of wonder though, like the rivalry between Maude West and Kate Easton, I wonder how much of that was actually them and how much of it was just like sensationalized for mass consumption, you know? Yeah. Because, like, the media loves to pit women against each other. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, it's tried to pit us against each other many times.
1: But... (laughs) It pitted so many people. Yeah. But you know
0: what? Yes. Ovaries before broveries. Damn it. That's... Sisters before misters. Um, Sisters before... Yeah. So I kind of... (laughs) I kind of wonder, like... And also maybe if like I'm completely speculating here, but if if Maude West and Kate Easton, ooh West and Easton, <gasps> East and West, that's incredible. That I'm mean, it's writing itself. The Netflix show is writing itself. But I also wonder if they if Maude and Kate like were aware of how they were perceived and kind of played up their.
1: right maybe like
0: I'm just writing a Netflix pilot in my head right now Um, I love
1: it yeah yeah Uh, I also
0: that's great that's That's a great story
1: I also love the world where they really do despise each other and they're like coming from they both audition for the same part and one of them gets it (laughs) but the same week the other one solves a really big mystery and it's just like every bit as dramatic as it sounds I love both of those realities (laughs) yeah
0: yeah I mean like maybe they are truly rivals but then like in the season finale they have to come together to solve like a really big murder
1: yeah
0: oh Netflix Netflix come at us we're yes oh my gosh okay well anyway (laughs) that's great um Yeah, I kind of, like, so before we knew anything about, like, before it was even confirmed that we were getting a sequel to Knives Out, I had kind of thought, like, oh, what if, like, in the sequel we have Marta as the detective now?
1: Ooh! I felt like
0: that would have, like, I mean, that's not happening, but I thought that would have been great. Or we have, like... Or she, like, joins forces with Benoit Blanc, and he's kind of, yeah. like, teaching her the ropes as he's solving a new crime. And, yeah, I thought that would have been interesting.
1: I love that, because lo- she's such a compelling performer. I wanted more of her, like, mm-hmm. I think Daniel Craig is so fun, too, obviously. But I just, I'm <laughs> so <fine>. captivated by <laughs> he's. I mean, it's fine. But It's fine. <laughs> Yeah, I think if they were taking one person, if they could only take one, I would go Marta instead, I think. But yeah. Yeah. That's fine.
0: Yeah. Eh, okay. No offense, Daniel that's Craig. Okay.
1: You're lovely. Good Full job. Full offense,
0: Daniel Craig. <laughs> uh
1: okay. Well that's the official pop DNA stamp. That's the end Full of the offense. episode. <laughs> <laughs> The end of
0: That's the our podcast. official motto. We, just... We'll make we'll make t-shirts that say, full offense, Daniel full Craig. Full offense, Daniel um,
1: Craig,
0: frankly. <laughs> like Leslie Nope's uh body pillow is <laughs> Yes. Is Daniel Craig. <laughs> yes. Uh all right, we better wrap this up before we get too off the rails here. Um <laughs> uh, yeah. What are we talking about next time? Next time we're talking I feel like about our, our part threes always get a little dark.
1: Yeah, <laughs> we're talking that's about
0: true
1: here. about that dysfunction, Whew. the dysfunction in family. Uh, no, that's part four. Oh, never mind.
0: <laughs> I part mean we we're gonna talk about. Some deep psychological issues uh-huh. and um,
1: social class and privilege. And privilege. And how they intersect with crime. <laughs> so. Yeah. You know, great. as I was saying dysfunctional family, I was thinking crime. So mm. I think my brain just did a little skip. Like when you have sure. a turntable, it was like, skip, skip. He- <laughs> okay. Skip, <hip. laughs> we'll go with that. All right. <laughs> Well,
0: uh, okay. That's next time. Yeah. You, you know where to find us.
1: In your dreams. Um,
0: yeah. Make sure that you, so a cool thing about, um, about Spotify, we, um, if you listen to us on Spotify, if you go to the, the landing page for each episode, um, sometimes you'll find like questions that we're asking or polls that we've put up, and you can answer those and and you know, like if we get like some cool, witty answers, then we might talk about them. Yeah, on the pod here. So yeah, check that out.
1: If you have a, a mystery for us to solve, this is now also the pop DNA detective agency it um, is so just let we us know we will be
0: taking cases mm. <laughs> also follow us on Instagram because we post some extra content there sometimes and book recommendations yeah and that's it yay Aaron, do you have anything to add no <laughs> no I don't
1: no, <laughs> no I do <laughs>
0: okay well then we will see you next time
1: friends Goodbye! Okay,